Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And the total number of votes given to each candidate was as follows. Jeremy Hunt, 46,656. Boris Johnson, 92,153. And therefore, I give notice that Boris Johnson is elected as the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast and The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. And this is your new Prime Minister. And I know, I know some, some wag has already pointed out that deliver, unite and defeat was not the perfect acronym for an election campaign, since unfortunately it spells dud. But they forgot the final E, my friends. E for energise. And I say, I say to all the doubters, dude, we are going to energise the country. We're going to get Brexit done on October the 31st. We're going to take advantage of all the opportunities that it will bring in a new spirit of can-do. And we are once again going to believe in ourselves and what we can achieve. And like some slumbering giant, we are going to rise and ping off the guy ropes of self-doubt and negativity with better education, better infrastructure, more police, fantastic full-fibre broadband sprouting in every household. We are going to unite this amazing country and we are going to take it forward. I thank you all very much for the incredible honour that you have just done me. I will work flat out from now on with my team that I will build, I hope, in the next few days to repay your confidence. But in the meantime, the campaign is over and the work begins. Thank you all very much. So there we have it. Boris Johnson, the new Prime Minister, applauded off the stage after a slightly peculiar uh, speech. 66% of the vote. I'm joined by Francis Elliott, the political editor of the Times. Francis, what did you make of that? Uh, Well, it it wasn't a traditional speech. Uh, It felt a little bit more like a a sort of... um, I don't know, is it something with the Oxford Union? Uh, I guess he, I guess, let Boris be Boris was the polite way of saying it. Um, it was quite partisan. I, I'm surprised there wasn't a sort of wider message to, 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 to bring the country together. It was, uh, we're going to reconcile two entirely irreconcilable things. And you're not daunted and, you know, believe in me. Uh, uh, yeah, buckle up. There was, a, uh, there was a line in the speech about whether or not people might question the wisdom of the decision that Tory party members make. He's obviously aware that, not, that this news will not be welcomed universally. Yes. Uh, also, uh, kind of interesting non, non-standard uh, acceptance speech material. Um, uh, and again, that, that might have been the precursor to a, 
a kind of message of, of, of reassurance and outreach to, to those folk. But um, uh, not so much. I mean, I, I guess this would make sense. The, the, the way I think makes sense of this is this is essentially the beginning of a long campaign, an election campaign. Um, this, this, is, this is obviously not a traditional inheritance. This is not a... This is, this is not an administration that I think anybody thinks is going to last for years and years. Uh, so it's a campaign rally. That's, it feels like a campaign rally. It is a campaign rally. It, does, it completely does. It looks like a campaign rally. It was a sort of G up the troops, yeah. not an address to the nation. Absolutely. I mean, and the, the margin, I should say, just you know, is pretty convincing. I mean, you know, I was told by one of his team, anything with the six in front is good enough for us. Uh, 66 is, you know, that, that's pretty thumping. Well, looking back, uh, you go, going all the way back to Tony Blair, the only person who's got more than 66% was David Cameron, who got 67% uh, back in 2005. So that's pretty... Dave, Dave will love that. <laughs> Absolutely love that. And as, as a, a biographer of David Cameron, uh, you know only too well. And so, um, oh, Quentin Letts, Quentin Letts, yes, Times yes, sketch writer. What yes. did you make of that? Uh, uh, was your spine tingled? Uh, mad. It was slightly different, and it's the sort of thing people will watch and think, my goodness, he's not going to be Theresa May. Um, the dude line, I quite like that. He pronounced, uh, did he pronounce dude wrong? I, I didn't notice that. Okay. And pinging off the, uh, the guy rips herself, Dad. I don't know. It is undoubtedly a unique style. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I think we can probably all agree on that. Is it going to work? I mean, is he... This is sort Who of the knows? easy bit. Who knows, Matt, but... You know, it can't go any worse than the last one. So um, things <laughs> this time really can only get better. And so, Francis, he's got, what, 24 hours to get ready to go into Downing Street? What, what will you be doing for the next 24 hours? I should think he's had a small celebration. There'll be a, you know, he'll want to sort of buy a few people a drink, I think. I would imagine that, that actually most of the cabinet has been sketched out. There might be a few kind of like final bits and pieces to go. There'll be a comms plan. We'll see what is briefed in to us overnight and how he wants to frame the, his first day in Downing Street. But a big week, speech outside Downing Street of some description, sketching out a reshuffle and then addressing the House of Commons before everyone breaks up yeah, for, for told, the summer break. We're told, we're told there was a statement at 10.30. I mean, that was, I mean, he had two choices. He could either get dragged to the Commons on the last day before recess or he volunteers to go. I mean, that is not going to be an easy ride, but... You know, it, it will be every bit as partisan as this, and it will be designed to sort of send the troops home uh, with a with a kind of rah rah rah. So I'm not sure we'll discover that much more about his plans at that statement, but we'll see. And a honeymoon lasts how long? I mean, there will be a bounce, won't there? There will be a Boris bounce in the polls. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that there'll be an increase in the polls. Uh, thanks to the um, Brexit party, I almost called it the Farage party, <laughs> will uh, will collapse quite starkly. And so those as those voters sort of come home, but uh, everybody's waiting for that first week in September when MPs come back and they've had a month to, you know, the Europeans have had a month to have a look at him and, and we'll know a lot more about the, the kind of shape of things to cope. Well, I think as you, uh, you said right at the beginning, buckle up. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Just coming out of the QE2 centre there where the announcement was made that Boris Johnson is to be the next Tory leader and uh, Prime Minister. A big bank of TV cameras right outside the door, uh, collaring anyone that they recognise uh, to speak to. And as I just walk across the, uh, the cobbled road outside the QE2 centre, there's quite a 
reasonably sized crowds of people. There's a lot of people wearing EU, waving EU flags and holding up vote leave placards directly opposite the doors. But there's a sort of uh, air of anticipation amongst some of the sort of tourists and passers-by just wondering if they might catch a glimpse of the next Prime Minister. They're the skycopter or somebody's helicopter's hovering overhead. But now I'm going to head to uh, College Green where uh, you know things, uh, big things are happening in politics because the, uh, the gazebos are back, the platforms, the makeshift studios, uh, they're all back on College Green after a bit of an absence over the last few weeks. Well, I'm hoping to track down a couple of Times colleagues who are going to give us some insight into what happens next for the new Prime Minister. Well, let's move away from the man shouting yeah. about God. Well, joining me on College Green, looking resplendent in shorts, is Matthew Powis, Times columnist. So Matthew, where do we start? What's the first question that lots of people will be asking themselves is, how did this happen? How, how did Boris Johnson become Prime Minister? I really don't know. Uh, for years I've been saying the MPs would never select him. For years I've been saying even if they did, the party membership wouldn't take him seriously. And suddenly this has happened. There has been an upswelling and the public mood, as it were, a, a, sort, a sort of strange zeitgeist that I must say I was a bit behind in recognising. Is it also a recognition, perhaps, that um, the alternatives were just not as convincing? I don't think so, no. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, some people say dull, but he got more intelligent and thoughtful as the thing went on. And if anybody had wanted a safety first candidate, he was really very well qualified and thoughtful to do that job. The party did not want safety first, and, and some of the public don't either, it seems. Now, you've been quite critical of Boris in the past. You've written some terrific demolitions of him and his character in the in your column in the Times. Is, have you seen anything during the course of the campaign which has made you change your assessment of it? Nothing. And and one or two things that I won't go into again that have happened during the campaign have confirmed my uh, assessment of him. He's a wonderful entertainer. He's a performer. It's all about performance. Do you think though that given that Theresa May is very much not a performer that, that he's the sort of knee-jerk response to in a way that Theresa May was the response to David Cameron. David Cameron was quite slick and PR-driven and, and tweeting and all of that, and she was sort of more serious, and, and, you know, and the pendulum just swings back the other way. I, I think there was a craving for excitement, uh, a craving for magic, neither of which one, one could say that Theresa May was particularly <laughs> well qualified to, to deliver. I, I think had she been more competent, um, all would be well. But being both incompetent and uncommunicative didn't help. I have, throughout the Johnson leadership campaign, and, and I felt it very strongly at the last hustings in London last week, felt among the Conservative membership, one of whom I am, have felt a deep undercurrent of anxiety about Boris Johnson. They're taking a punt on a wild horse because they think he might have the magic to uh, deliver victory in a general election. But if you, if you ask them if they're sure they're making a sound precautionary investment in a good Prime Minister, there are very few Conservative members, including many Leavers, who, who would give you an unhesitating yes to that. I, they're, they're, they're just wanting a bit of excitement, but they know the risks that come with excitement and they will shortly experience even more of them. 
Uh, joined now by Lucy Fisher, uh, Times Defence uh, correspondent. It is absolutely boiling. We should probably be standing in the shade, but I feel like if we're out of the office, we should enjoy the sunshine. Um, so, Lucy, we've just obviously been discussing... Matthew's not changed his view on Boris Johnson and what's happened so far, but let's, <laughs> let's, let's look a bit more ahead. There's a hell of a lot waiting in his in-tray beyond... Uh, Brexit. And one of the things that happens, for, you know, Prime Minister goes in, he signs the letters to the nuclear subs yep. in the event of a total apocalypse, which is, you know, not impossible. Uh, and then quite quickly, he'll get onto the security briefings of what on earth is going on in Iran and what he plans to do about it. Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, well, that's exactly um, correct to say that the first thing when he gets inside Downing Street is he will have this huge in-depth classified briefing from defence chiefs in order to inform his decision um, for those letters of last resort. Um, interesting fact, it's actually four he must write by hand so that one can go to each of the UK's four nuclear submarines where they're held within a safe within a safe. But um, as you say, yes, and he's got to get on to Iran, the new European naval task force that's going to be set up in the Gulf to try and protect British merchant uh, shipping. I think lots of concerns um, this week about the future of the UK's registry, whether we're going to see lots of ships, um, shipping owners uh, and operators deflag, choose other countries that won't kind of see their vessels come into trouble in the Gulf. Um, and that could have a real knock-on effect on the British economy. Shipping is still a huge industry here. London is the global centre. Uh, and, and that's one big uh, issue he's got to take in hand. Do you think he's ready, Matthew Paris, to deal with that onslaught of information. He, he's catastrophically careless and lazy about detail, but he has his precautionary side, and I would expect his instincts in the Iran case to be precautionary. He will be being advised not to say too much and advised that both sides probably need to wind this down. And I would have thought that his instinct will be to do that too. What else is in his intro from your, on your beat, Lucy? Well, there's quite a bit, obviously, um, in foreign policy and security terms. He really needs to set the tone of his future relationship with Donald Trump. Um, obviously, that pertains to Brexit as well. Sort of rather fantastical talk of seeking a limited uh, deal in one area of goods uh, trade deal before uh, Brexit, which uh, isn't likely to happen. But I think uh, on a defence and security note, he needs to think very carefully about how he handles Donald Trump and the ongoing trade tensions between Washington and Beijing. Obviously, um, Huawei and the need to get on with um, the 5G rollout in the UK, whether to allow um, Chinese technology companies to be involved in that and other key areas of national critical infrastructure um, will be key and set the tone for his premiership. If either of you were advising him, what should he do about Donald Trump? Because he's been, he was sort of reluctant to go jumping both feet first over the Kim Darrick affair, but then over the racist tweets, he went stronger but didn't quite use the word right. What does he do about Donald Trump? Does he rush over to meet him? Does he keep his distance? I think he's all at sea over Donald Trump and he swings wildly one way and the other. He has been very critical indeed on occasions and he has been almost poodling on other occasions. Uh, I, if you ask my advice as opposed to his instincts, it would be to step back a little and that uh, no comment will be quite a good answer to a great many questions he'll be asked. Have you ever heard Boris Johnson say no comment to anything? No, no, <laughs> no, and it would be uh, it would be a refreshing first. <laughs> I think that's um, part of the problem uh, I foresee is that He'll, he'll try and be too clever by half. He'll think that he can outwit Trump or buddy up to him or diffuse any tensions with some sort of witticism or Latin aphorism. And um, Trump seems to always get the better of people in these encounters and from what I've seen. OK, so what happens? He gets a bounce over the summer in the polls and then it's back to Brexit misery 3rd of September? 
I would have thought so. I don't think the bounce will last very long, but there will definitely be an instinct. I know in, in my party, in the Conservative Party, there will definitely be an instinct which I shall do my best to row against, to, to, get, to, to give the man a fair win, you know, give the guy a chance. He deserves a little honeymoon, all that stuff. You're, I, you're not going to give him a honeymoon? No, I'm certainly not going to give him a honeymoon. <laughs> no, he's, he, it's a terrible mistake that he's become Prime Minister, and the sooner we wake up to that, the better. But uh, there will be this instinct. It won't last long because the problems that will confront him are so insoluble that his incapacity to resolve them will very quickly become clear. Is there not part of you, although you think he's not up to the job, is there not part of you that hopes he is and that he does, that you do wish him well because actually if he did get a Brexit deal that would be better than him turning out to be the disaster you fear? Oh yes, if there is a good Boris as opposed to the naughty Boris, I really do hope the good Boris steps forward. Um, I, I, I never like to be confounded in, in predictions, but I am prepared to be confounded for the sake of the poor nation. Can I just ask, Matthew, I mean, don't you, isn't there an argument, I wonder what you thought about, if Hunt had one or another candidate who wasn't a sort of died-in-the-wall lever like Boris, wouldn't we just be delaying the inevitable of getting someone like him? In a way, I sort of feel even those people who are against him can't argue that this is presumably where we would have always have ended up. I think that we're now in, in such a bind that delaying the inevitable is something to be prayed for. Just a bit more time, please. Well, let everybody calm down. And Jer Jeremy Hunt was basically Mr. Look Before You Leap. And I, I'm still in favour of looking before we leap, e even if we don't really know what we're going to do after that. What now for Jeremy Hunt? He seemed to fight a solid campaign. He probably gave Boris Johnson more of one for his money than he was expecting. but. Boris Johnson still won with 66%. Lucy, do you think Boris needs to give him a good job? Well, certainly it was a very conciliatory tone we heard in um, Boris's uh, acceptance speech, um, talking about how uh, good-natured and friendly and a font of good ideas Jeremy Hunt had been. I think given that uh, the Iran crisis is so precarious, there's a lot of febrile foreign policy issues, it wouldn't be a daft move to leave him as Foreign Secretary, not least because it gets him out of the country uh, and away you know, from causing, uh, causing him any problems back in London. I think if you are Foreign Secretary and the new leader of the party asks you to carry on in a time of some national difficulty abroad, I think you have to say yes. And I'm pretty sure Jeremy Hunt would say yes. The question is, would he say yes to anything less than that? And I am not at all sure that he would. I, I think it's probably Foreign Secretary or nothing for him. And if he were to be offered something else and not take it, that's potentially another rebel on the back benches, which Boris Johnson can ill afford. That's how we would write it up, Matt. Though in truth, I think he would then step back for a little while and uh, refrain from getting into the scrap one way or the other. I think that would be Jeremy Hunt's instinct. So how long does this all last for then? How long is Boris Johnson Prime Minister for? How long until a general election and then can he win one? Well, I think there's got to be a general election by the spring, um, not least because whether he gets a bounce once Brexit needs to happen first to avoid what he's described as the twin puffballs of the Lib Dems touting Remain and the Brexit party breathing over his shoulder. From doom, remember. <laughs> and the pizza of doom. Um, so he does need to get Brexit done before he calls an election. But beyond that, I mean, he has a parliamentary majority of three. You know, he's got sort of big problems managing the relationship with the DUP. He's probably got problems with the, the 13 Scottish Tories, really, over, over Brexit. To be able to set forth a distinctive domestic policy agenda, a sort of programme of renewal, he needs his own mandate and a parliamentary majority. 
I'd like to quote to you the words of a very sage colleague on, on our own newspaper, Matt, only this morning. It may come to nothing, it will probably come to nothing, but it may not. Uh, boldly spoken, <laughs> Matthew, boldly spoken. That was indeed my prediction of whether or not uh, Joe Swinson was yes. going to be Prime Minister. Yes, or anything else, really. Or anything else, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've, if there's one thing we've learned over the last few years of British politics, and in fact standing on this very college green, it's the, making predictors an entirely daft yes, thing to do. Yes. Matthew Powers, Lucy Fisher, thanks very much. Right, in a moment I'll uh, sit down and chew the fat with Esther Weber from Red Box, but we'll be back after this short break. Welcome back. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast with me, Matt Jolly. Now, I've retreated to the slightly uh, cooler, air-conditioned uh, climate of the Times office on the roof of Parliament, joined by Esther Weber, uh, Red Box reporter. Now, Esther, I think we should talk about some of the personalities and the team that might be built around Boris Johnson. There's been endless speculation. Almost everyone has been linked to one cabinet job or another. I think you and I have been tipped for uh, death for a leader of the Lords, I think, is probably the most we could hope for. Um, how, how important is that team going to be around Boris Johnson, I think? Um, yeah, so now attention will turn to the reshuffle and that's going to be very exciting for political journalists. It's a bit like the football transfer season. We get an idea of who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down. Some of our contacts become entirely useless. Others. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever thinks of that with yeah. the uh, the poor journalist when your, your top cabinet contact yeah. suddenly disappears. Yeah, and also maybe people who you previously discounted in the past are suddenly secretaries of state. <laughs> Particularly for those of us who occasionally write columns uh, or morning emails which are rude about certain politicians. <laughs> it's always worrying when they all suddenly then appear in the cabinet. Yes, exactly. And, um, for, and it's always a balancing act obviously for any prime minister to uh, balance different wings of the party different um, agendas they want to pursue but for Boris it's a particularly kind of intriguing one because we know he was carried into the race on the back of so many completely different MPs um, so it's going to be really fascinating to see how he builds that coalition within cabinet if he does and there's been some talk some speculation that he may try to hang on to some sort of continuity figure within the cabinet um, in order to signal that he's not completely burning everything down in his wake at the same time there are a lot of people who want jobs and so I think um Pretty much everyone thinks there'll be a good job going for Sajid Javid and um, and because of the shortage of women to promote, we can also expect pretty good jobs for people like Andrea Leatherham, Penny Morden and even Amber Rudd, even though she supported Hunt because she did this kind of, I won't, die on the altar of preventing no deal after all how important do you think that will be the the sort of message that boris johnson wants to send because he's had a lot of criticism during the campaign both his track record on women um his you know not least his private life and also his track record on race whether it's was you know how critical he was going to be of donald trump but also some of the stuff he's written in the past there's a lot of speculation about 
the number of women in the cabinet and the number of non-white faces. Do you think that that will come to pass and does it matter really or does it actually just a few fresh faces and a bit of competence because actually the risk of promoting a whole load of inexperienced people just because they make for a more jolly photo that could all fall apart in the autumn if it turns out they're not very good at the job. I think the luxury that Boris has at the moment is potentially he can do both because he's got so many people to choose from. He has actually got quite a few experienced women who've already been in the cabinet who he can give jobs to. And the same goes for ethnic minorities uh, within cabinet. Um, and we, we also know that... Um, he sort of effectively placing his deputies and the team under him was something he actually had quite a good reputation for at City Hall. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he promotes some people with experience in their portfolio. That, that could be something to watch for. Just finally, we should probably think about poor old Theresa May. She's still, as we sit on Tuesday afternoon, she's still Prime Minister. Uh, she's had her last cabinet. Uh, the cabinet had a whip round. Yes, and they bought her some jewellery and a handbag. So that's very nice for her. Off she goes. She, <laughs> <laughs> she, she must be quite looking forward to putting her feet up and, and also kind of handing over this entire mess that maybe at one point people thought she might be able to take the full fall before the new leader came in but no she hands it right over to Boris Johnson and she must be quite enjoying that. It is amazing that actually for all of the shenanigans of the last three years in politics that we've chronicled in immense detail Boris Johnson enters Downing Street in almost exactly the same position as Theresa May. He is still the face of Brexit, half the country still hate him, the Tory party does not command a significant majority in the House of Commons, yeah. there's no clue really as to how Brexit happens but he's going to arrive in Downing Street promising that he's the one who can deliver it. All stuff that Theresa May said. Yeah, in the sense you could say maybe do, doing this reshuffle this week will be maybe the nice bit for him where he can sort of hand out some baubles and uh, move pieces around on the jigsaw board. And after that, then the... I can't find the polite word for it. <laughs> then, then the less pleasant tasks begin and there are and many it all hits the fan it hits the yeah, fan that's what you're saying exactly. yeah yeah luckily the fans are whirring marvelously in the um in the times office in parliament because it's absolutely roasting outside um i'm sure at some stage boris johnson will claim the sun has been shining throughout his premiership but uh it's a it's a lazy cliche but the storm clouds are coming that's all we've got time for in this episode of the podcast don't forget to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify acast or wherever you listen and sign up to my morning email at the times.kdk forward slash red box where esther and i try to help you make sense of what on earth is going on or at least reassure you that nobody knows what is going on my huge thanks to all my guests on the podcast for me matt jolly it's goodbye hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 